You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. This week on A Slice of Cheese, we explore the rich historic world of British cheese. We talk to Ned Palmer, author of the wonderful A Cheesemonger's History of the British Isles, the Trithowan brothers, who make Gorwith Caffini and Pitchfork Cheddar, Rachel Yarrow, who makes Synodon Hill, and Rory Mellis of the Scottish cheesemongers, I.J. Mellis. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. Thrilled to have with me today... Ned Palmer, cheesemonger and author, and author of A Cheesemonger's History of the British Isles, which is a really wonderful book, which actually sort of explores the history of British cheese and sets British cheese in its history and its context, but with so much more besides. Good morning, Ned. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me on. I couldn't really think of a better person to have on an episode (laughs) about British cheeses. So, yeah. I mean, I was thinking, Ned, British cheese, it's got such a long and complex history, but there is this sort of, you know, there are moments of impact you know it was a farmhouse cheese tradition you know yeah. we've got a long history of making cheese on these islands do you want to just take yeah. us on a whistle-stop tour right so i think the scoop is we used to think the romans taught us how to make cheese but uh, about let me see gosh 10 years ago or so some amazing archaeologists at bristol figured out that these traces of fat on little shards of pottery were actually the residue of dairy fat and, and meant the most likely things that was cheese making and that was from 4000 bce so that's 4000 years before the romans mm. uh, and gives us 6000 years of cheese making history um which is just absolutely marvelous um i think they're probably quite simple fresh cheeses but i love to think that all over britain people are making cheese and in ireland we've got we've got evidence from ireland and scotland as well and i love to think of regional cheeses you know even six thousand years ago people traveling around and trading cheese so obviously the romans what they did for us was i think teach us how to make sort of semi-industrial cheese because they fed their army on cheese Mm. amongst other stuff and they had to make a lot of cheese to do that, um, thousands of kilos a year. Uh, and and I, I, I like to, I imagine that they might, we might have learned some of the techniques for making an awful lot of consistently good cheese off them. That was sheep's cheese. Sheep's cheese was Britain's main cheese for a long time until the Hundred Years' War. War seems to have a lot of impact on cheese. Hundred Years' War, uh, the king gave a contract to East Anglian cheesemakers to supply the British, well, the English army, and that was a very good one for them, and they were making cow's milk cheese. So that kind of was one factor that turned us over to cow's milk. Cheshire was was a really big cheese, so to speak, hugely popular in London. And there's this moment, this day in the, in, in the 17th century when a ship turned up from Cheshire with a load of Cheshire and started a sort of Cheshire craze. Samuel Pepys loved it. 
immediately he was, he was always there with the cheese fashions Pe- peeps is great isn't he he's always there with the latest thing <laughs> and the burying of the parmesan there's a very yes. famous story but he does it's in the diary because the, the fire was coming he could see it and he buried his yep. parmesan and i've always wondered what happened to it like that's thousands of degrees what if what if it cooked the parmesan and did he go and dig it up and eat it and i, <laughs> I wish someone would bury a parmesan and burn a city over it but it's quite a pricey way. And, you know, it's really flourishing. We, we exported a lot to the continent and to France. They have a cheese called Chester in France, which they think mm. is English, but we've never made a cheese called Chester. <laughs> it's a memory of cheese coming from the port of Chester and going to France, and they still have that memory. Cheddar, obviously, well, Stilton was a thing of the 18th century for me. Got really famous around then. A lot connected with sort of branding. I think they were really getting to the idea of branding then, and that's why it got its name, in a sense, because you got it in Stilton. And the 19th century is a rough time. You might get into that a bit later if we want to talk about territorials. Uh, and, and as we all know, I mean, the, fortune, the sort of farmhouse cheese making and artisanal traditional cheese making really suffered with the Industrial Revolution and wars and supermarkets. We nearly lost it all. Then in the 70s, we had the, the great British and Irish cheese renaissance, and we're now living in a, I think it's Pat McGuigan said it's a golden age of British cheese. Or was it you, Jenny? Someone said golden age of British cheese, and I thought that was lovely. So here we are. How was that? Good. That was impressive. Well done. Um, yeah. Thank you. And yeah, no, no. I mean, it is. I mean, is this really interesting? Check it is. I think one of the points I wanted to make is that we have got, we have got a history of cheese. Yeah. Narrative. Yeah. One of the cheeses I love, and I know you love too, Ned, what are called territorial cheeses, which is yeah. a phrase which I don't think people really know what that means. I often find myself explaining it. In fact, I always explain what it is as soon as I yeah. say it. So, Ned, Good, yeah. tell us, tell us what a territorial, oh. what we know, what are territorial cheeses? What do we mean by well, that phrase to start with? And then let's unpack I, it. I mean, it's funny because I also think if you've got a bunch of cheesemongers together and the collective noun for cheesemongers is an argument of cheesemongers, we'd argue. <laughs> but it's the cheeses that are really connected to place and they have the names of places like Lancashire, Cheshire, Red Leicester, Double Gloucester, Wensleydale, Kefili. And also they tend to have, they, they are all cow's milk now, aren't they? Yeah, all the territorials mm. are cow's milk. Yeah. And they all range for me somewhere between hard and semi-hard. So if you think Lancashire is quite, it's quite a good Lancashire, like Kirkham's is quite yes. soft but and crumbly, but still, you know, it's still considered, considered a, hard a hard cheese, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I people yeah. argue. And so they, and, <laughs> and they really have that connection with place. They have us, to me, there's something of this, they're fairly mild, but, you know, but really complex and interesting. People, so I don't think that Stilton and Cheddar are territorials. Stilton, right. because it's a blue yeah. cheese and, to me, a soft, creamy cheese, and territorials, to me, are kind of hard, semi-hard. And Cheddar... Right. I don't know why. I just think it's uh, it's sort of its own thing somehow. Do you think Cheddar's territorial? Well, Cheddar's sort of escaped being territorial in a funny way, just because, you know, because yeah. the word was never protected, the way of making was not protected. So it's, you know, we've got Australian Cheddar, we've got Canadian Cheddar. Yeah. You know, it's it? Whereas if you think, you know, it, yeah. Lancashire, Cheshire, these wonderful cheeses. Um, I mean, let's talk about, you know, let's take... Mrs. Kirkham's Lancashire. And actually, mm. a shout out here to these wonderful women, Mrs. Kirkham, Mrs. Appleby, who whose names were attached to these cheeses, which are now very rare, sadly, rare farmhouse cheeses. Yeah, absolutely. But, but you know, they preserved that tradition, didn't they? And it's been passed on. So now it's Graham Kirkham who makes the Lancashire. 
I love Lancashire cheese. Again, I think it's not particularly known outside Lancashire, I would say. What do, what do you think? I find it's fairly well known. I mean, it's definitely not known outside of Britain. I guess Lancashire's lesser right. known than cheddar to the people of Britain. I know what you mean. I mean, yeah. my sample's a bit canted because I spent a lot of my mongering career in Nilsa Dairy. And a, a lot of the people that come into meals are dairy, very, you know, for non-cheesemongers, they know their cheese. Also, I'm actually up yeah. in the northeast at the moment. Oh. And apart from, I mean, I'm in Durham, North Yorkshire sort of way. So obviously their cheese is Wensleydale. And they have a sort of affectionate rivalry with Lancashire cheese, but they know <laughs> it very well. Well, I think, you know, the reason I said that is that I used to take tours around food shops in London. It was, I worked for a catering company. In fact, they came from all over yeah. the world and of they had never remember, come yeah. across Lancashire. You know, it was always a revelation. Yeah. I always, that was always the cheese I chose for them to taste. And lots of them loved it immediately, you know. And it's a very, perhaps we should describe it. I mean, Mrs Kirkham's Lancashire, which is, you know, it is a rarity, isn't it? I mean, it's, I think, Niels Yardary called it, it's the last raw milk farmhouse Lancashire cheese in the world which is pretty serious in a way you know it's sort of yeah. an endangered cheese species yes, and it's, a yes thing of, absolutely. it's a thing of beauty isn't it because it's got this one as you know you talked about the texture earlier it, you can break it with your fingers it's got such oh, a wonderful it's, I mean, it's one of texture. my favorite cheeses in the world and you know that thing graham says when he really nails the texture he calls it butter crumble yeah and i think phrase. that's a yeah. perfect description of that texture yeah and I, so and also a thing for me, so all the territorials to me are, are, are on the milder end of the spectrum. Mm. And when I was a younger monger, I'd always, I was all about the big guns, you know, really strong cheddar, the Keens and the Stilton and big strong cheeses, you know. And the more you mature, the more you find, I think, that the milder cheeses have a lot to give because you've got mm. to go out to that flavour more. You've got to do a bit more work. And, and, and Lancashire for me is that when you really taste it consciously, you realise it's so complex. It's got that buttery flavour, it's a little bit kind of milky, warm milk. Um, what else? It's got lem that lovely lemony yes, freshness yeah. to it. It is a fresh, yeah. It is. It's very beautiful, isn't it? It always stops me every time I try it. I, It sort of transports me and it does make me, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but it makes me think of dairies, it makes me think of milk. It, yeah, there's something definitely. very pure and sort yeah. of innocent about its flavour that oh, I... Oh, lovely. But, yeah, but, you, but again... But it's not easy. You know it's not easy to make a cheese like no. that, you know. No, I so. have a theory as well, and I'm not sure if this is true. And I, I'm, not, I'm not denigrating the work of great cheesemakers like Richard Keane or the Joneses, but we make poacher. But I feel like when you have a mild cheese, there's kind of nowhere to hide. Every element has to mm. be perfect and perfectly in balance. And you can have, um, I mean, you say you have a contal, it can go, you know, the French crazy contal, it could go really mental and it's still kind yeah. of fun. You know, it's like a problem child. <laughs> but for me... Yes. With with or with Gorwith Kefili, which I, I happen to know you've been chatting to those blokes recently. Yes, um, uh, they, they say hi. <laughs> I thought they might. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's very elegant cheese. It is indeed. Actually, I was right, and I suppose the danger is it could be dull, isn't it? I mean, that's the that's interesting it, thing. That's you're and, right. That's it. Yeah. they've all got everything's got to be perfect. Otherwise, it could be a bit dull. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, gosh, we've gone all rhapsodic together. Right. So your affection for the territories, do you, so, so when you look at Britain, do you think it's one of our glories? And actually people, would you say to people listening to this show, you know, do try, what would you say to them? You know, we've I talked about say, the joys of Kirk and Lancashire, some yeah. other territorials too. Well, to another, another lovely, I think, a, set, a great success story is the reappearance of proper good red 
Red Leicester, with Spark mm. and Harry Red Leicester from the Clark family. And when they started making, which I think's 2005 or six, apologies if I got it wrong, but it was actually hard work to get people to taste some in the shop, even those, yeah. you know, customers prime for cheese, because they'd say, oh, it's, I don't really like Red Leicester, it's a bit boring, because so mm. sadly, it had all been, how to put this politely, well, more factory scale cheese, you know, and it doesn't tend yeah. to have the depth and complexity. And, and the poor old Red Leicester, its reputation was a bit yeah. scarred by that. And when you have it, it's so rich, it's beefy, it's earthy, it's got bits of old stone in the flavour, you know. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And again, it's not roaringly strong, so you've got to go out to a bit. But the fact that that's reappeared, and I'd like to think, you know, I hope, that David and Joe Clark would be cool with this, that other people would make it. So, like, we'd have some more resilience, you know, yes. um, and, um, you know, that are just more around. And then the other real big thing for me is the rise of pre-war-style Wensleydale in the form yeah. of Stonebeck, Wynyeats, um, or Fellstone, I think it's got two names, Richard III's, a bit like that. Uh, and these are much more creamy and moist than Hawes Wensleydale, which is in itself a lovely thing. Um, I prefer the Kit Calvert version of Horse Wensleydale, but um, mm. Wensleydale before the war was a gourmet food. It was in clubs, and I started. I was reading these things where chaps saying, "Well, I vastly prefer Wensleydale to the Stilton." And I said, "Really? Wow! I mean, mm. like Wensleydale's more of a session cheese, you know?" Yeah. And the war really hammered Wednesday. They had to change the cheese to something harder and less yes. complex. You know, we should explain the, what happened to British farmers' cheeses during World War Two. It was, you know, it was to do with trying to feed a population on an island. I nation. think so. A few different was, reasons, yeah. Yeah, it was a centralisation, basically, wasn't it? Exactly. But it was dictats. It was the Ministry of Food that just ruled certain cheeses could no longer be made because they yeah. wanted hard cheese and actually funny enough the pandemic does bring that home because what were people buying you know when they couldn't go out long lasting hard cheeses like cheddar you know not fresh it's interesting that. it sort of really yeah. resonates doesn't it i mean yeah it's yeah. a really interesting comparison so so um so yeah well world war ii is a bad thing for a number yep. of reasons for cheese making. And, uh, yes. cheese making and they did i think um, and uh, as you say i think the reasoning one was centralization bring more milk into centralised factories and make it in more bulk for an economy of scale. It's more efficient, that's what they thought. Uh, harder cheeses are more durable. You can send them out to the troops in Burma. They won't, you don't have to worry about going off. They don't go off, but you know, they're going wrong. And so they just said, you know, for example, the Ministry of Food sort of came to the Wensleydale maker and said, you're going to stop making cheese. And this bloke, Kit Calvert, who up here is a national hero of Yorkshire mm, and County Durham, when course. you mention his name, it's really moving. People really know who he was, and I wish the yeah. rest of Britain did. He just said, he just said, no, we're not doing that. It was really yeah. blunt, you know. They said, yes. "What do you think of that, Mr. Calvert?" He said, "Nout." <laughs> and then, and then he persuaded the makers around Wensleydale, the farmhouse cheesemakers, to go to this harder, more acidic recipe. But then that changed, um, you know, the character of the cheese. And you could argue, I think, with all the knowledge of hindsight, he was perfectly right to do it because all those cheesemakers would have stopped making cheese. Mm. And then we would have lost that tradition of cheese making in the Dales. Um, yeah, yeah. amazing. I mean, I'd say, you know, a good thousand years at least. Yeah, it's often um, to the Cistercian Abbeys, isn't it? Is exactly, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but uh, but there were other cheeses that disappeared, and I I suspect there are cheeses, Jenny, that we just will never hear of because they made them. You know, a few villagers made them in I don't know Derbyshire and sold them yeah. in some local markets, and it had the name of some outcrop of rock in Derbyshire, and it's gone. So yeah. that was very sad, and I think that then was compounded by the supermarket because supermarkets didn't want a to have to train their staff to cut cheese properly because it takes a bit of learning and it's a craft it's part of the joy mm. of being a cheesemonger that there's a proper way to do it they didn't want that uh, they wanted th food that was they could stack i think quite simply yes. block cheddar it's cheaper to make it and plastic wrap and, and no plastic no care wrapped. needed you know no i mean it's, yeah. so much easier yeah. to deal with isn't it yeah. Uh, yeah so to speak and then yeah. and that had a real a very sort of what's the word it's a stifling effect what i love i love I love humans, and uh, I'm not particularly nationalistic, but let's say I love the people of Britain because they got bored of having cheese, of boring cheese, so people went and started making their own, like they did with bread and, and, and with beer, with the camera, the, you know, the movie, yes. to say this, yeah. so people are like, right, I've had enough of that, we're going to make some nice stuff, and they wanted to come to Neil's you know, Dairy and all the other great shops and buy things and support it, and then... As you well know, because you were such a key part of it, when the pandemic hit, and you know you were talking about those softer cheeses and people wanted to buy cheddar, we were in danger again. And Graham became the poster boy for, for mm. the tragedy where he couldn't sell his cheese, it was looking like yep. his business was going to fold. The Chithounds were in a terrible way. People were deeply worried. And, and, and so you and Pat and, and the British Cheese Academy and me to an extent went, everyone buy lots of cheese right now. And they did. Yeah. That affection for cheese in Britain, yeah. which we saw absolutely demonstrated you by, yeah. you know, the fact that when we realised that cheese makers, you know, when hospitality closed, cheese makers were left, mm. you know, yeah. with cheeses that were perishable with no market and no... Yeah. And it was a disaster because, as Graham bluntly put it, you can't turn off a farm. You know, they're the no, animals that no. need milking, yeah. that need feeding. You know, everything carries on, but you need the sales to finance it. Yeah. And it was this wonderful joy that, you know, actually the best thing you could do was buy good cheese well, and eat it, which seemed great <laughs> to me. It, it, it used to make me a bit teary. It's actually doing that a bit now. I just... So yeah, it was very emotional. I know, was, I agree. Wasn't it? I used yeah. to lie awake worrying. And I, I mean, I was incredibly lucky because my mum was in New Zealand and still is. She happened to be there with her fellow. And, and it, it was the safest place she could be, you know, we were yeah. okay. And, and I was lying awake think, worrying about the cheesemakers and, and, yeah. and the shops, you know. And thinking, God, they're going to Well, we right. spoke, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we did. At the time, didn't we? And yeah. we were like, yeah, oh. this is terrible, you know, yeah, what's going to happen? what are going to do, yeah. It's so great. actually, that's a very good point. I'm glad you put that up, Ned, because actually it's lovely. You know, we're still here and a lot, not everyone, but a lot of cheesemakers are still with us, mm. thankfully. Um, in fact, we should talk, also about, we've talked about the history of British cheeses, but we should talk about this, this whole creative sort of new cheese, mm. you know, side of British cheese, which I love and, you know, have sort of been witness to because I've been writing about food for so long, say three decades. And, yeah. you know, that I've seen this myself, you know, seen the growth of more new cheeses. And often people don't realise, because, you know, because people don't know that, you know, when you go into a shop like Neil's Yard area and you see cheddar or Stilton and then you see a cheese alongside it like St Jude or, oh, you know, or St James, you're seeing new cheeses. These are yeah. modern contemporary cheeses created by wonderful cheesemakers using traditional methods, but, but making their own you know, creation. Yeah, I think there's something really special about British and Irish cheese making that I'm not 
don't see in that many other countries. Well, not in the continental countries, is that? I think in America you get varieties. It, yeah, I think you do. And I wouldn't, well, in fact, you have to in America and Australia yes. and New Zealand because they literally like new, well, in a rather... Yeah. A rather problematic term, new world cheesemakers. Yes. But yep. so do we. And um, and in a weird way, it's almost like the compensation for having almost lost our cheese was because we lost a lot of tradition. We had to reinvent it. We had to borrow from French, Italian, Spanish, mm. Greek tradition. And now there's this sort of joyful, multicultural hybridization of cheese styles such that for me, you know, we talked about the cheese renaissance starting in the 70s. A typical renaissance cheese is, let me see, uh, the late, great Mary Holbrook's Timsborough, which is literally mm. very much based on Valencay from um, the Loire Valley in France. And you can recognise that absolutely, you know, and you might be able to fool a French person into thinking it was one. But you look at, say, Lincoln Chipotle, it's a hybrid of Gruyere and, and cheddar. And I think they're quite open. They, you know, quite yes, consciously they would say, yes, they would quite, say that, yeah. and that's fascinating. Yep. And I yep. bet there isn't a single cheese maker in France, bless them, who thinks, "Oh, I love that cheddar. I'm going to make a cheddar, cheddar contal cross." And then you've got, I mean, for me, so I now talk about, so I call that postmodern cheese because you know, postmodernism is like a playful <laughs> mixing of genres. And also, yep. I'm a recovering philosopher, and it makes me chuckle. <laughs> uh, but um, so 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 one of the big success stories has been uh, Marcus Ferguson Felton Farms cheeses, so Renegade Monk, which is mm. a mixture of a blue and a washed rind, and I've never heard of anything like yeah. that before. And and it, so it's in a sense it's a completely novel variety. And I know Martin got been chunking out the new cheeses. Um, yes, I know it's extraordinary. I can't keep up with group, it. <laughs> I love Martin, yes. and I love now. Yes. This to me is so. It's such a farmer characteristic and a cheesemaker one is his response to a crushing pandemic and fears of what Brexit will do to our to our industries and our trades. Right, we make loads more cheeses. You know, just step yeah. up, get yeah. on with it. Let me buy lots of goats and make a home. Yeah. You know, he's I know a sheep, he bought a sheep goats. farmer. Yes, this is classic, classic. <laughs> I love cheese. Yeah. and he's producing these incredible range of. You know, so he was known for his sheep's milk cheese, famously St James. And yeah. of course, he's then yeah. he's got these. Then he bought these goats and he started making goat cheeses in different ways and and yeah. mixing the milks as well. I think isn't he? Is um, he? Yeah, I, I think so. I came across Brilliant. one. Um, yeah, well, I yeah. keep seeing. It's so hard to keep track of. My Martin's but um but it's a joy and actually that's just a sort of i think this is a wonderful note to end on ned because you know you know the british you know, we should be really proud of our british cheese in fact my the yeah, way absolutely. i used to convert i lived in italy as a teenager and when i had italian friends visit london they, they were very scornful really about um british food english food and the way i would convert them was to take them to borough market and i would get them to and of course they were given tasting so they would taste these wonderful cheeses you know a beautiful farmhouse cheddar, you know, some lovely Colston Bassett Stilton. And you'd see this sort of penny drop that actually we had yeah. good food here in Britain. I was like, Absolutely. yes, we do. So, yeah, yeah wonderful. Great, oh, well, no, we could talk for hours, well, I, know, I can right? tell. <laughs> oh, we'll have to stop. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a real oh, pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jenny. That was great. Thank you. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches, using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop, enter the code SLICEOFCHEESE at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order. Mm.
online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. Savor the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. Before we go on exploring the world of cheese, here's news of another Food FM programme that I think you'd really enjoy. Thank you, Jenny. Well, I'm David, the host of The Drinking Hour here on Food FM. Each week, we explore the wonderful world of wine, spirits and beer, all things that make wonderful pairings with cheese, of course. We hear from those for whom making drinks is a passion. So after your cheese course, how about you join me for a few drinks? You can find The Drinking Hour with David Kermode on your usual podcast platform and at foodfmradio.com. Now it's back to Jenny and a slice of cheese. Good morning. I'm very happy to have with me today on A Slice of Cheese, the Trithowan brothers, who are indeed brothers, um, Todd and Morgan Trithowan. Good morning to you. Morning. Lovely. You make a cheese I've, I've known a long time, um, Goeth Kefili. And it's such an interesting story, isn't it? Because basically Kefili, you know, it's famously a Welsh cheese. But I don't think people realise that the, the sort of the farmhouse Kefili tradition moved across to Somerset. Would one of you like to tell me a little bit about that, how that tradition was carried on in Somerset and how you guys then decided to make your own Kefili? Yes, well, we started making Kefili in... 1996 on our parents farm in west wales and um and uh, and nobody was making kefili in wales at that time and we were looking to make cheese i'd been working with neil jardary in the summertime um, sort of to pay my way through university with an eye to making cheese on my mum and dad's farm in west wales and then so thinking about which cheese to make it just seemed like kefili was the obvious choice. So I asked Randolph Hodgson, would he put my name forward to Chris Duckett in Somerset? Because he was the only person making traditional kefili in the UK at the time. Could I do a um, six month stint with him um, to learn how he to do it? So Randolph phoned up Chris and asked. And I was very, very lucky um, in that he accepted. And I think one of the reasons he might have accepted is because I think he had like three daughters and none of them were going to carry on the kefili making. So maybe I'm guessing that he thought that was a way it might carry on. Um, yeah. So he was kind of um, maybe happy to do it. Yeah. So I spent six months with Chris in a caravan um, in one of his fields full of llamas. And uh, llamas <laughs> aren't always the friendliest. So um, they, they used to spit at, at the caravan. So um, I used to feel quite harassed as I left and the caravan early in the morning to go to work. They were quite intimidating. But I spent six months working there. And each night I would make a massive list of questions to ask him because I didn't know anything about cheesemaking. And he was a man of few words, so I thought I had to choose my questions well. I, I always mm-hmm. felt like I had about five questions before he would lose patience with me. So I did. And then every night in my caravan, I would write up every single thing that I'd learned that day and everything that I'd seen. I didn't really know what would be useful when, mm-hmm. when, we, when I got back. So I learned the kafili making with him. And then we also, uh, his mum was uh, around then, and I, I think he's like certainly third generation kafili maker. Just as an added extra, I used to make butter um, oh. before I started to work with his mum, which was brilliant. Yeah. And one day, it would be a real nice thing if um, me and Morgan could make the whey butter um, as we were shown, you know. That'd be a real yeah, treat. There's, I mean, whey butter, there's a big, some lovely butters out there and be more the merrier, I suppose. I'm, I love good butter. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the six months, we took that recipe back to Gorwith Farm and, I, and cobbled together... Um, 
cheesemaking equipment on a real shoestring and had a tiny little vat that was a very small, like 100 litre converted bulk tank. I made the first batch of four cheeses. And then um, and I was amazed that they turned out uh, cheese shaped. <laughs> so exciting. Yeah. And then we matured those up and we were making like four once a week and uh, sending them down to Niljar Dairy uh, for feedback on sort of developing a recipe. You use unpasteurised milk, is that right? We do, yeah. Very passionate about unpasteurised milk. Which I'm sure appealed to Randolph as well. Yeah, and it's um, yeah. one of the reasons, I guess, is because Caffili has a very bad reputation, um, maybe deservedly so, you know, from uh, from being made on an industrial scale. Yeah. So it's, um, some cheeses you can make on quite a large scale, like Comte, and they're absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Some cheeses seem to suffer from um, being made on a larger scale, and Caffili is probably, I think it's probably the worst. You know. uh, so, so what is a bad industrialised Caffili like then, you know, compared to, to what you're making? Overly crumbly and dry and acidic. Right. Uh, terrible texture. So there's loads of little things we do with the kefir making um, to try and give it a great texture. You know, so we, well, we don't pump the milk. The milk is gravity fed into our vat, so which is a real luxury because if you force milk under pressure, you can get something called shearing. That damages the makeup of the milk. We feel that affects the texture. Right. And then another thing we do is we cut the curd. We could use machinery to do that, and we stir by hand because the kefir curd is really, really delicate much more delicate mm. than the cheddar um, yeah. and can be mashed can be mashed up by the mechanical process and you get this um, poor texture. So there's loads of little tricks that we do. Each one maybe doesn't make a massive difference, but if you do them all, then you can keep the kefili uh, texture interesting and lovely you know, rather than dull. Let me ask uh, Morgan. Morgan, yeah. did you get the cheese making bug? then from Todd was it sort of infectious then yes um, I did um, <laughs> he'd worked with Neil Jard and then he he began uh, making cheese at, at our parents farm and um, at, the, at that time in 96 I was working as an archaeologist for oh. David Archaeological Trust and enjoying that but then it quickly became apparent with Todd's cheese making that it was more than a one-person job mm. so um, <clears throat> it's quite labor-intensive so um, he'd I'd, I'd kind of helped with the setting up anyway of the equipment and stuff and he said did I fancy like joining in to make cheese full-time and I did um, so I told Stavar Archaeological Trust that I was going to um, try cheese making and they said um, you know, good, good for you but you can always come back here if you want <clears throat> that was 25 years ago <laughs> I'm not sure if it's too late to go back now I don't know but um, uh, I don't want to go back and I'm thoroughly enjoying the cheese making. Excellent. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, you are preserving, you know, a really important bit of, of food heritage, aren't you, for Britain? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Which right. is, yeah. I mean, I felt like, you know, and I love, I mean, we should describe your go with kafili because you talked about texture. And I'm very struck by the, I'm always struck by the texture when I try it because it's got that lovely softness under the rind. And then the middle bit is a little bit drier and you get different flavours you know I always feel the middle yeah. bit's a little bit more lemony to me than the bit closer to the to That's the rind right. it's so and I mean, this thing about the joy of texture is such a thing isn't it when you make good cheese yeah I mean and that we always think the kefili is like three cheeses in one because you've got um the rind which kind of has a mushroomy flavour and yep. then just, just underneath the rind there's the breakdown which, <clears throat> which increases in depth at certain times of the year which is creamy. And then below that, you've got the slightly crumblier, uh, more lactic inner. So when we're uh, giving out tasters, we always try and give a cross section of the yeah. cheese so you, so you get those three pieces because not everybody knows that you can eat the rind with a kefili. 
Yes. And, uh, yeah. It's nice to get the full effect of the three different flavours. We should have explained at the beginning that the reason the kefir tradition was in Somerset, it was linked to the cheddar making tradition in Somerset, but cheddar's a much larger cheese, which I say matures for much longer. And kefir, how, how, how old is your kefir when you, when you sell your growth? Um, it's about between two and three months. Right. So much younger. So basically it was a turnover in a way for these Somerset dairy farmers. It allowed them to, there was a demand for it in Wales and they made the cheese, which is, I think is why Chris and his family, Chris Duckett and his family were, were making it in Somerset and became this sort of haven of Welsh cheese knowledge, you know, in Somerset. And you've moved to Somerset, haven't you? That's right. And um, we're about like 10 miles from um, where Chris had his farm originally. So it's ah. funny that it's gone full circle. That and really is old, a circle. Yeah, some of the old presses that were used, these lovely old, like, 100-year-old cast iron presses were made um, in Mark, which is just, like, you know, a few miles down the road from his place and us. It's lovely. Well, in fact, we should talk about the other cheese that you are known for, which is your pitchfork cheddar, which is a wonderful cheddar. And, in fact, and you are in Somerset, the home of cheddar. Was that partly why you moved to Somerset then? Yeah, I mean, there are several reasons, but we, because we, we had been based on a parent's farm and we were kind of making do with the building that were there but we got to a point where it would be nice to have like a, a purpose-built um, building for making the cheese in mm. uh, and we were really keen to get like a single supply of milk we were buying in buying in milk through um, a milk company so it was good milk but it would vary from uh, it would come from various different farms so we wanted to get that link with just one farm just so we could get consistency so we searched around um, all over the place to find a farm that we could build our dairy on right uh, which had really good milk um, and we found one here in in north somerset and one of the extra bonuses one that not only could we be um, unpasteurized but this is also organic so that was a thing on our on our wish list that we really wanted Lovely. to be organic so that was great so we found this great supply of milk um organic unpasteurized milk and we built our new dairy right next to the milking parlor so as todd was saying um we just the milk just comes by gravity down a pipe into our bulk tank and then into our vat so um, a really, a really good setup. And what's it the same thing? So now you are making that sort of combination of cheddar and carefully. Tell me, tell me about the cheddar. One, one of you tell me about the, the cheddar, you know, what your vision was when you set out to make cheddar, what you want to achieve with it and what you feel it, it offers. I mean, it was a real calling because the, the, um, the furthest extent of the farm is five miles away from the town of cheddar. Mm. So um, when we were just thinking about it, um, we just couldn't resist it. A lot of people were telling us not, not to try it, you know, because um, it's a very difficult cheese to make because of the year feedback loop. You know, you have to wait a year for it to mature, you know, and then yep. if, you, if you make a, a, a change, you know, do an experiment, you have to wait you know, another year to find out and, and that could be worse, you know. So this, yeah. they say it takes a, you know, it's a long time to develop a recipe. So, and also they're just like uh, on a cash side of it, you know, our bank manager and accountant were, uh, did like the idea of it because it's uh, tying up money for a whole year. You know, there's plenty yeah. of people saying we shouldn't really do it, but we couldn't resist because it's probably the most famous cheese um, in the world. So, uh, and we were five miles away from it, and we had this beautiful uh, milk. And um, huh. Somerset, you know, um, has well where we are in the North Somerset levels, there's these really deep, um, silty soils, and like apparently it's been a, a salt marsh a couple of times in the history of the of the North Somerset levels. So there's these beautiful deep soils with fantastic grass. When we were more than taking the dogs out for a walk every morning, you, know, you can practically see uh, the grass growing. So we just, gosh, we want to make use of this. 
So we thought we'd have a shot at it on a small scale to start with. Yeah, yeah. It takes a certain stubbornness, I guess, to um, yeah. if everyone's advising you not to do it. But I can yeah. sort of see your the temptation is strong. But it's been very rewarding by the sounds of it. Then it's getting a great reception. Yeah, it has. Um, we started off um, was it twenty the end of twenty seventeen, and we started off um, just making one batch every other week, um, just just to see. And then we had to wait the year. Um, as soon as we realised that um, it seemed to be going well, then we um, gradually increased production and got to the point where we are now. We, we've tried to do everything as traditionally as we can, and we're, we were really pleased. Um, I think it was. 2019 that we were accepted into the slow food presidia for oh, um yeah for somerset artisan cheddar yes. of which there's only other two other somerset cheddar makers that are in that so yeah um, so we were delighted to be part of that and that part of that entails going to bra to the slow food festival um every oh. yeah every two years so hopefully this year um yeah. it will be on in september so that'll be great yeah how exciting so they're very different cheeses aren't they i mean so cheddar so you've got your the presses that you, it's a very different texture, isn't it? If we go back to texture, tell me about a cheddar texture then. Yeah, so um, with the Philly, when you cut the curd, there's, there's barely a scold. You just increase the uh, temperature by a couple of degrees. So you're not really boiling out much moisture and the curd sizes are like the size of a finger. So there's a lot more moisture in that cheese. So um, it will mature a lot quicker over a couple of months. But with a cheddar, you cut it very fine, you know, like say um, the size of a piece of, you know, like, like rice or something like that. Mm. A much higher scold and you boil that a lot more uh, moisture. So there's a firmer texture with that traditionally, cheddar. And um, and, you, and you're, you know, you're not boiling, but you're heating out a lot of more moisture so that the cheese can last a lot longer time because it will mature over a year period. Right. So, um, so it has a firmer body. But one thing we always we quite like with our cheddar, although um, it does have a firmer body, we like it because there's also like a creamy element to it, which we always attribute to the fact that we've got like 10 jerseys in the herd. So mm. we always think that might make a, make a difference. And it's got a lovely yellow colour too, doesn't it? With the richness of the... Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So you're finding that real satisfaction then to making... These two, the two cheeses then in balance, they're complementary cheeses for you then. They really are, aren't they? It's a nice piece of history, isn't it, that we're doing that. And we love the fact we're still learning, you know, like we love, with the cheddar, that we use a different starter culture every day. Um, pint cultures that have been preserved since the 1950s, these are old, um, fantastic bacteria. But we use a different one each day. So that's been interesting, hasn't it? Just getting to know the... Um, yeah, each one has um, different characteristics. And some can be slightly sweeter, some can be more savoury and some can produce a, a higher acidity um, and some not not quite so more gentle um, and just getting used to those and doing gradings with various um, customers and, and cheese graders yeah. just learn more about that and rotating those starters um, has been really interesting isn't it yeah I mean yes it's always this sort of fascination that cheese because you know it's hard and because there's so many variables in it every time I talk to a cheesemaker you sort of sense you know how interesting it is actually because why it's lots of hard work but and yet but there's these challenges aren't they and then the satisfaction I suppose of, of overcoming them must be really profound yeah it really is satisfying and that thing you never stop learning it's just uh, we feel very grateful you know at um, the age that we are that we're still so um, fascinated by the work we do you know and 
and we've got uh, lots of that to look forward to, you know. Yeah, lots of work, but lots of satisfaction. So, yeah. well, listen, yes, so lovely, you know, having eaten your cheese, your cheeses now, it's really lovely to talk to you. So thank you for taking the time to come and talk to me. Mm, you're welcome. My pleasure. Lovely. Brilliant. Take care then. Thank Bye. you. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. Very happy to have with me today Rachel Yarrow of Norton and Yarrow Cheese. Rachel, you make a cheese I'm very fond of called Synodon Hill, which is a lovely goat's cheese. Tell me how you started making it. You're you're a sort of recent cheesemaker in a way, aren't you? How what brought you to cheese making? Um, it was a complete coincidence, really. Um, we just happened to read an article about somebody who had a herd of goats and was a cheesemaker in a magazine that someone had left in a villa that we were staying in for our holiday in Italy back in 2014. Um, At the time I was an English teacher and Fraser, my husband, was a project manager. Um, And I guess we were uh, looking for a new challenge and that Mm. for some reason caught our imagination. Um, (laughs) And we just couldn't stop sort of talking about the idea and um, yeah, we took it from there, really. That is quite a thing to go for. So you, so so no cheese making experience, but you set out to make your your own cheese. Then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we did some um, cheese making courses once we decided we, what we wanted to do, and we started experimenting at home. So I guess we we're making cheese at home for about eighteen months before we actually started selling um, to the general public. But, That's, yeah. And, and was it always goat's cheese that you wanted to make? Well, we always wanted to have goats. So right. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. I mean, so it must be incredibly satisfying. So you're using your, your own, and it's unpasteurised, isn't it? You're using raw milk right. to make yeah. your cheese. I presume that's something you feel strongly about. That's the impression I always get when I talk to raw cheese makers. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not a complete purist about it, to be honest. I think there are some great cheeses made that are raw and, pa- and pasteurised. But um, yeah, having our own goats and sort of really knowing about the quality of the milk and um, understanding the microbiological... Um, character of it was um, something we were always really interested in. Um, yeah, definitely. And you use use cardine rennet to set That's it. Right, is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Was that to make the cheese vegetarian then? Well, it does make the cheese vegetarian, mm. um, which uh, we do think is a benefit. But uh, to be honest, it was also just when we were trying out different rennets at the start, we really liked the um, the kind of set we got from the cardoon rennet. It was quite mm. a delicate set. And um, we were inspired by a recipe we'd read in a, um, a really old leaflet pamphlet that the um, I think it was the British Goat Society had produced with some in the 1960s with some very basic cheese recipes in them. And one of those is just um, basic it's almost no ingredients added at all. Um, and that was a bit too, <laughs> that was quite hard to uh, get consistency with, but we want, we wanted that sort of um, simplicity of recipe and that kind of lightness of the make that you get from that. And the cardoon rennet we felt really um, helped us achieve that. And we like the delicate flavour you get. Lovely. And you got off, you got off to a sort of fantastic start, didn't you? Tell me what happened when you, you know, which is really interesting, you're making a new cheese and then what you put, you put it in for some cheese competitions and got wonderful yeah. results. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah we, we first entered the Artisan Cheese Awards um, back in 2016, um, which was only a month or six weeks after we'd sold our first cheese at a local market. So we had no idea 
what to expect. We just thought, you know, we may as well <laughs> um, see what see what feedback we get. Um, and we got two silver awards, I think, in that competition. So that was a real boost. Um, and we got some nice feedback and some useful pointers on the judging sheets. Um, so yeah, that was definitely quite encouraging. And yeah, gives you a bit of um, <laughs> a bit of a boost to then go to our potential customers with your but cheese. You've been very, you've been quite modest because then you go on to get best new cheese 2017, don't you? And Yes, that's right. Yeah, and, a, yeah. and a gold at the World Cheese Awards in 2018. So it's not very, so what, so that's only a couple of years after you've set up then basically. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we put it like that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, in 20, uh, yeah, our, on our second cheese, Bright Well Ash, we, we were runners up, I think, in best new cheese category in 2019. So yeah, no, we've had, we've had some good success in those, in and areas. how have you found an, an audience for your cheeses? You mentioned farmers markets. Do you do you sell through them, or do you sell through cheese shops, or is it a mix? Um, so we don't really. The first year we did a lot of farmers markets, but um, to be honest, after the first year we were making, we had our first baby at the end of that year, and we also acquired twenty five goats that were due to kid a month later. Um, mm. So suddenly we had a baby and um, twenty five goats that we needed to milk um, every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, just finding out, sort of working out the logistics of how to get to market suddenly became furiously complicated. Um, and in the meantime, we'd been picking up quite a lot of interest in our cheese from some of the more specialist um, shops. So places like Neil's Yard Dairy and La Fromagerie and Paxton Whitfield and Fine Cheese Company had started to um, offer for our cheeses so um when we were finding we weren't we didn't really have any left once we'd fulfilled the orders that were just coming in naturally so um yeah and i'd say now that's that's definitely the case that we do sell to quite directly to, to quite a few local shops um and restaurants and outlets but um m- mostly it's more we're selling through more specialist um cheese and you um, found yeah retailers. receptive Market. So are you finding it rewarding? So that decision that you, you know, based on reading an article that set you down that path, you, is it something you found, you know, a rewarding way of life? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very, it's had its challenges, let's say, in the first few years, sure. um, especially with having young children as well, getting the business to a break-even point where, where yeah, really challenging and have some quite long days and there's lots of um there's lots of hard work involved in keeping goats and making cheese um but mm. it's definitely really rewarding um and i think now as well we've got to a point where so i've been recently um doing some more studying i've been doing a, a distance learning masters through aberystwyth university which is focused on sustainable farming practices oh, um yeah. so I'm, I'm getting a lot more knowledgeable about that and i find that area really fascinating and it's really nice to get to the point where you start to feel like you're not just starting up everything's not new um and <laughs> you start to kind of really like go into your passions and we employ more people now so um there's yeah a bit less of just frantically um cleaning drains and <laughs> like, the glamorous side of cheese making yeah, exactly. yeah. and yeah. um gives us a bit more of a chance to sort of yeah to well do things like radio interviews and um do some studying like i was saying and yeah. Wonderful. That's brilliant. Well, listen, Rachel, thank you. I know how busy you are, so I really appreciate you coming on. It was lovely to hear that story. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. Very happy to have with me today on a slice of cheese, Rory Mellis of Mellis Cheese, who are Scottish cheesemongers, um, founded by your 
Father Rory, Ian Mellis, in 1993, I gather. So quite a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was four years before I was uh, in the world. This was uh, great. Yeah, Dad, Dad started the, the company in 1993 um, after previously making cheese for the best part of 15 years of his life. So worked all over the place. He was head cheesemaker in uh, a creamery up in Orkney, uh, Inverness. Uh, he worked for Joseph Healer in Chester, down in England as well, making cheese for well, what they now supply uh, all the all Sainsbury's. So quite big, big production right, scale. Big production, right? Yeah, he cremated so farmhouse cheeses, didn't he? He had this vision of wanting to share farmhouse cheeses through his shop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he, I mean, obviously he started in um, an environment purely for the, the farmhouse market for small scale um, and his move down to Chester actually inspired him to start looking at farmhouse cheeses, but for selling because there was a, well, there still is a, a company called Chester Cheese Company, um, who was run by um, this lady who Dad uh, became quite pally with when he was making cheese down in uh, Nantwich area, and mm-hmm. uh, I think her shop just inspired him to start looking into farmhouse cheeses, but for selling a little bit more. So he kind of experimented with. Uh, different styles but predominantly when he moved up to to edinburgh and victoria street and opened the first shop it was all about supporting british cheeses and that was all that was from the start that was what his mission was um for sure do you remember the shop from a from a kid you must have memories from you know going there when you were a child yeah i um my one of my one of my first memories was uh one of my first jobs let's say was going up and down we have a shop in great western road in glasgow that was dad's second shop and uh, our or my first job was to go up and down the queue at Christmas time when it wrapped right around Grace and Western Road, uh, <laughs> and it it was to hand out samples and keep people happy in the queue because at that point it must have been about an hour, an hour and a half long wow. queue just to get get your your Christmas cheese. So that was my first kind of introduction into uh, into the shops, and then obviously after school, uh, most Thursday, Fridays, uh, and Saturdays I would go and work in the in the Stockbridge show, uh, store and Victoria Street. So it's really been uh, part of your life, hasn't it? She's selling and your... What, do you remember, I was, I was really wanting to talk to you about Scottish cheeses in particular, since we got you on the show. Um, mm-hmm. Are they sort of particular makers? Because, you know, this that period of time that your dad opened in those, you know, 20 plus years, as there must have been a rise of, of in Scottish cheese making. Are there other key figures that you would like to tell us about? Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely key figures, and to be honest, I've um, I've I've grown up as the the industry has started reviving up here in in Scotland. It's only in the past kind of 10, 15 years that the Scottish Scot- Scottish cheese makers have started. Um, you know, making more and people have started, well, customers have started wanting more Scottish cheese and we've started buying more. And- it's interesting. So you, in your own lifetime, there's been this rise of Scottish cheese making. Who, who are some of the people who've been making interesting cheese in Scotland? Yeah. So, I mean, over, yeah, over my lifetime, I've, I've seen, start, uh, started seeing the Scottish market developing, um, especially with restaurants and cafes and, and local cheesemongers wanting to use more Scottish produce up here. Um, it's become quite popular. Um, and some of the cheeses, just to name a few, uh, Errington cheese has obviously been uh, a kind of staple cheese maker in Scotland for the best part mm. of 25, 30 years. And dad used to deal with Humphrey, which was Selena's dad, um, yes. back when he first opened in 93. And now I have the pleasure of dealing with Selena, which is uh, Humphrey's daughter. 
So we, she, she makes everything from our Lanark Blue, which is like a Roquefort style cheese, all the way to recently just developing uh, a lactic goat's cheese covered in ash. Um, definitely Selena has been one of the ones that the customers felt close with. And we've obviously felt very close with Selena, um, selling quite a lot of our cheese in our stores. St. Andrew's Farmhouse Cheddar is another one kind of, I wouldn't say a newcomer, but definitely in the past 10, 15 years started to gain a lot more popularity. Um, so this is, she makes a couple of cheeses. She makes uh, St. Andrew's Farmhouse Cheddar made on uh, in, in Fife on the East Coast. Uh-huh. Uh, and she also makes Anster, which is quite like a, a nice crumbly style uh, cow's milk cheese. But she's, she's in the past kind of three or four years, we've seen her cheddar start to really gain a lot of popularity and um, laterally kind of win quite a, good, uh, a lot of gold awards in the Highland shows and stuff like that. So it's one that we're quite close with. We obviously try to pick up as much of the cheese as possible being local and having our own fleet of vans. So um, we do have that connection with the cheese maker. Mm. pretty much from the offset if it's not visiting them or calling them it's uh, picking up their cheese which is nice i came across lock arthur creamery when i was writing great british cheeses mm-hmm. well they seem to make a cheddar now i think they made different cheeses when i was writing about them yeah Do you, you, yes you must know them obviously so, yeah yeah so they're obviously they're um yeah they're, they're most popular at the moment for uh their their cheddar making which is um Lock Arthur Cheddar, made by mm. well, the, the place is run by Barry Graham, and the, obviously the the creamery has such a, a great story in the fact that it um it's a community hub, so um they employ uh, a lot of people with mental and physical disabilities and um, to help them make cheese and to help run their dairy, and they give back to them by housing them and uh, and teaching uh basically teaching um cheese making in all aspects of because it's quite a big community um. Mm. So, I mean, the cheddar has been a staple on our bench for seven or eight years now. Um, and it's, uh, it's made with organic milk, which obviously is, it makes a big difference. And you've got vegetarian rennet as well. So they're very focused on um, kind of the whole s- sustainability of cheese making. Uh, but yeah, Bar- Barry's been around for as, as, well, as long as dad has. So a Yes, great, he's uh, quite a figure. Absolutely. And so Isle of Mull cheddar is one of the Scottish cheeses I've known a long time because you know, the Dairy in London sell it. Yes. Um, that's a really, you know, it's a really characterful cheddar, isn't it? It's got a lot to it, a bite to it, I would always, I would say. Yeah, it does. I mean, the the kind of, uh, yeah, the Isle of Mull cheddar, um, that was a Somerset recipe. Um obviously made down in Somerset and then taken up to uh, the Isle of Mull. It's a beautifully kind of from the same way you get a, a Somerset cheese being quite mustardy and quite tame and creamy. Um, Isle of Mull is very similar. However, it does kind of change throughout the years. So um, it's roughly about 16 month age cheese. So in the winter, it's got this like nicer, sharper bite mm. um, because it's obviously made with summer milk, which provides a little bit more protein, a little bit more flavor to the milk, um, but a lo- little bit less fat content. But then obviously during the summer, it's made with the winter milk. So you obviously get the, uh, the really nice creaminess because naturally our winter milk tends to have a higher fat content, which produces a little bit creamier cheeses. So, I mean, it's it's always, it's ever changing like the farmhouse cheeses are. And that's the kind of the beauty, the beauty of them, I suppose. They're never, one batch is never the same as the next as much as people try to make it. Do you think, you know, something that I, the reason I wanted to talk to you, Rory, is I think cheesemongers are so important in, you know, they bring cheeses to market and they can really help foster a market. It's obviously what you're 
father has done, you know, with your family business is you've helped, you know, uh, introduce people to cheeses, get, get, get them a taste for these cheeses. So do you think it's a much more favourable environment now for if, you know, somebody wanted, a Scottish cheesemaker wanted to start, would they find a more receptive atmosphere for what they're making? Yeah, cer- certainly. I think, um, I think again, just going off my experience over the years, like it's it, farmhouse farmhouse cheeses, but not, not just farmhouse cheeses, but um, small-scale producers and farmhouse products have certainly got a lot more attention um, from from the general public now. And I think a lot of the general public want to eat local and support local and um, buy kind of local produce. So certainly, you know, small-scale cheesemakers uh, have a lot more chance now with a lot more cheesemongers and delis and and cheese shops opening um, to be able to sell their products. And I think that, like you said, that that's it's down to us to be able to showcase their products in the best possible way. So ensuring that all of our cheesemongers are knowledgeable, but still offering tastings. And I, I, I think in the, in the cert, well, in the, certainly in the past year, since obviously COVID has hit, it seems mm. to have been more people of who maybe were shopping in supermarkets are actually coming over to shop with us. Um, oh. because they like their personal interactions and learning a little bit more about, okay, you've got the farmhouse cheese, but you've also got the cheesemaker who's making it. Tell me a bit about that. And mm. I think um, people are more interested in, in the story behind their food now more than ever, um, which really helps small-scale producers because they can really tell their story through a product, um, which can be difficult to do on such larger scale. So, yeah, our job is our, our job is incredibly important, and I think it's... Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of our our right and um, our duty to kind of showcase the cheesemakers' cheese in the best possible way, which is why we do buy a lot of uh, Scottish cheese, um, but also cheeses from abroad. But um, predominant focus is on pr- promoting uh, kind of local cheesemakers and helping helping the community develop together. I think wonderful, yeah, and it's great that you know your dad is lucky that you've got the taste for it because it doesn't always happen that family businesses pass on but you you really do then love cheese and love this world that you're you're working in yeah definitely I think uh yeah no I can't I, I used to study um I was studying business in Spanish at university for a while and uh yeah now, now looking back and I don't see myself yeah I don't see myself doing any other any other job you get to meet so many interesting people whether that whether that's um cheese makers dropping off cheese or collecting cheese all the way through to general public all the way through to dealing with chefs and business mm. owners and it's a it's a really good environment to be in it's it's really nice wonderful listen well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this it's great to have you on the show thank you Rory. no thank you very much for having me to find out more about food fm and our content go to foodfmradio.com thank you so much for listening to a slice of cheese i hope you've enjoyed it If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.